You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 250 of the Pemcron Warhammer podcast. Still cannot believe we've made it this far, almost five years on the air every single week. We have our beautiful, awesome, generous, lovely, I mean just, just salt of the earth, fantastic people, Patreon patrons to thank for supporting our show. Thank you so much, guys. I love you. Smooches. Also, we have GameMat.eu for pre-painted resin terrain and neoprene mats and STL files. You can use Event 10 for 10% off your order. Go over there and do that. Do it right now. Just go over. I'll wait. And we've also got uh, Panhandle3d.etsy.com, who has been a fantastic sponsor of the show. They've got 3D printed terrain, custom uh, dice trays, and mugs with your logo or whatever you want on them or your gaming club. They've got all sorts of um, combat gauges and all sorts of stuff. So you need to go check them out. It's um, PH3D15OFF for 15% off their order on Etsy. And they also do free shipping. So check that out. So what's going on? Well, I'll tell you. Today we're discussing... The expert, the quote-unquote expert level modeling kits on the GW website, which I found to be very odd, and the want that or want that not. We also have a letter from Andrew, multi-Shorehammer champion, Andrew. And he writes in and uh, threatens me with a cold bag of piss. I don't... <laughs> Dude, just, just listen to the segment. It's weird. And then, of course, I am pondering whether or not the exclusion of a force organizational chart in 10th edition is a boon or a problem and we will see we're going to discuss that what what i think my hunch is and we'll see you know over time whether or not i'm right as 10th edition unfolds so what have i been up to well i played a game of 10th edition and that was at the club this week against the um the 14 year old will and he played his towel I played Tyranids, and I had a pretty well-rounded list made, but unfortunately, I left half my army at home. So then I had to scramble and just put something together. I ended up taking four Carnifexes. Now, in the past, four Carnifexes would not be that big of a deal, especially against Tal's blistering shooting. But unfortunately, this edition makes Carnifexes and just vehicles and monsters in general quite durable without the proper tools. And he had, it took him all game to put down three out of four of my Carnifexes. I mean, it was like he was firing everything he had because he did have a Riptide and stuff like that, but he didn't really have any dedicated like broadsides or hammerhead. He had no dedicated anti-monster, anti-vehicle stuff. Now, if he had a hammerhead, he'd be popping at least one Carnifex a turn, probably two. So that would have been a completely different story but he did not bring the right tools for the job. I don't think he actually owns those tools. Anyway, I ended up beating him. Uh, we didn't play any missions or anything like that. We were just doing objectives. I think I beat him six to two, seven to two, something like that. It was pretty bad because I was pretty aggressive with my gene stealers and, and all of that. And while I wasn't trying to like crush him into the ground or anything, he just could, he was focusing everything on those Carnifexes and by focusing his entire army on the Carnifexes every single turn, 
that left everything else free. And of course, I lost probably half my army or something like that over the course of the game. It's not like, you know, I was completely unstoppable, but um, he he was really I, I really got in his head, basically, like psychologically when I was pressing the envelope and pressing the battlefront towards him. He basically never left his deployment zone. He he eventually did, but for the most of the game, and it, I was making fun of his ghost keel because his ghost keel backed up every single turn and just kept backpedaling every single turn of the game as I was approaching closer. He was not like upset about it. Like I wasn't being a jerk about it. I wasn't bringing some intentionally overpowered list or anything like that. I took him uh, Tyranid Warriors. I took Gene Stealers, twenty Gene Stealers, a Brood Lord. Uh, six Tyranid Warriors, four Carnifexes, and some Ripper Swarms or something. I forget, but it, it was not like some crazy awesome list. I had exactly no shooting. Then, uh, Just James came over, and uh, later on in the week, and week, it was actually today, the day I'm recording this, and he came over, we played 10th edition again. I played my Tyranids again, made made a different list with only one Carnifex rather than four, because I obviously have everything at my house. I didn't leave it anywhere. And he brought his uh, Chaos Space Marines. And we actually played a mission, and we actually followed the rules and all of that. I decided for fixed secondary objectives, and he decided for versatile or whatever you call it, the turn-by-turn secondary objectives. We did a mission in the book, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. I ended up beating him 36 to 33 in the last turn. And uh, we actually accidentally uh, mismeasured our deployment zones. And it was equivalent on both of us. So we both ended up getting like, it was a like caddy corner. And from where we measured it to, I guess we just weren't paying attention. Where we measured it to wasn't long enough or whatever. We ended up cutting like, six or eight inches off each of our deployment zones on one end of the deployment zone because we measured poorly. And um, so we uh, it actually affected the game because it took us like a whole nother turn to get to each other. So it was um, it's pretty good, though. And like I said, like 36 to 33, I think it was. And that's about it. I mean, I'm still really loving 10th edition for the most part. There's some things that are a little weird, a little janky, but I'm still really loving it. So... And Tyranids seem to be a pretty good army. I don't see how they're like crazy powerful, but I think they're good. A lot of toughnesses were boosted up and some armor saves were increased. I was shocked to find that my Carnifexes, like, of course, I make a list and I don't look at the stats. I'm just like, oh, I love Carnifexes. I own 12 of them, so I'll bring some Carnifexes. And I, I originally had two in the list when I played Will. And um, and then I was going to take an Exocrine and just so just some of the stuff I like. I just like taking what I like and not looking at the stats. Okay. That you see how much prep goes into my list building. So I had no idea it was toughness nine for a Carnifex now and a two up save natively. That is nuts. Especially now that monsters get cover and stuff like that. Pretty, pretty nuts. Anyway, enjoyed my games. Both of them. They were really fun. And uh, at, at the, towards the end of Will's game that I was playing him, uh, I just like when he wasn't paying attention, I'd pick up like half of my successes when I'm hitting or wounding and I'm like, oh, yeah, I rolled really bad. I was I was like legitimately trying to fudge it in his favor. But ultimately what it was, he didn't bring the right tools for the job. And neither one of us knew that going into it, because normally he'd be able to wound Carnifexes on like a five up or whatever, you know. But anyway, um, in the creative front, still working on the settlement mode for brutality. I'm about 60 some percent done with that. 
and all the main stuff is fleshed out. And I've also been struck by creativity for that type of brutality catch and train your own warband of monsters and you're the trainer or the uh, tamer and all of that. And I've settled on a name for it and I made the front cover. It's a tentative cover, but I'm happy with it. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. It's taken a long time to make that cover by hand. But that's basically it. That's what I've been up to. So no crazy coffins found at uh, uh, flea markets or anything like that. I haven't been to the flea market, so maybe next week. Anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this edition of the Tesseract mailbox, we have multiple Shorehammer champion Andrew writing in, and he's going to threaten me with a cold bag of pee, and he's going to also explain the whole Necron shenanigans that uh, um, Leroy Jenkins was discussing last week. So let's get into it. He writes, Hi, Pimp. Now that I know your weakness to a bag of cold piss, don't accept any drinks from strangers. <laughs> and uh, and now we have reverse paint schemes again. You have black Tyranids with blue chitin, and I have blue Tyranids with black chitin. You have black Seraphim with orange scales, and I stole someone else's color scheme for orange Seraphim with black scales. The nerve. Oh, great minds. Or he says, or great minds think alike. Who knows? Yeah, let, let me stop this for a second. That is very weird. That's a very, very uncanny thing. I've got black and blue Tyranids. You've got black and blue Tyranids, but reversed. I've got uh, orange and black skinks. You've got orange and black skinks, but reversed. That's just, that is very odd. I don't know why. It's just, it's just odd. Now, the reason why I did mine, you said you stole someone else's color scheme. The, the reason why I did mine is that I always did like, and this is silly, but it's going back to my suggestion about um, about sports teams, color schemes using that. Uh, the local professional baseball team for my state is the Baltimore Orioles, and they are black and orange, just like an Oriole bird is. So I thought, hey, I haven't used orange. I don't have a single orange army, not a single one. And all my armies, none of them have orange in them because, you know, orange is kind of a hard thing to pull off. So I thought, ah, I'll do black and orange. That's awesome. Orange is the accent color. I make the spine scales look even brighter, almost like they're glowing from the other scales. And that's that's why I did it. It's coming out fantastic, by the way. All right, now Andrew continues. I wanted to break down the broken Necron Warriors combo. The reanimator, le- reanimator, I feel like I said that weird. The reanimator lets any unit that reanimated within 12 inches of it add D3 wounds worth of healing and reanimating. Dude, that's awesome in itself. I've got two reanimators and didn't even know they do that. Resurrection orbs let you roll for reanimation at the end of your opponent's command phase on top of your normal roll at the end of your command end of your command phase. The stratagem that lets you roll for reanimation after you have been shot or hit in close combat in your opponent's turn. That's nuts. So the reanimator is is baller right now, in addition to all of that. He continues, you can add Orican the Diviner, a named Technomancer. I know who he is, Andrew. I may not play named characters, but by golly, I know who Orican the Diviner is. I don't own him, and I don't play him, but I know who he is. To a unit of, so you can add Orican the Diviner to a unit of Necron Warriors for a 4-up invulnerable save for the unit. Holy crap, I did not know that. 
Or you can add a regular Technomancer for a 5-up Feel No Pain. I did know that. But you can only include one version of the Technomancer in a unit. Yeah, I know. But wait, there's more. For 40 points, you add two Crypto Thralls, which adds four wounds with a 3-up Armor Save and 4-up Feel No Pains. Then you include a Lord or Overlord with a Resurrection Orb, or stay within six inches of a Catacomb Command Barge. Then you stand next to a Ghost Arc. <laughs> My God. 2d3 plus 3 reanimations like four times around if holding an objective. Dear God. So although you spend about 600 points for one very durable unit that does relatively no damage unless it's shooting guardsmen that are out in the open. So pretty much ignore all that and just play what you've been playing. I expect FAQs within two weeks like they have been doing and I wish the Death Guard had an escalating minus one toughness aura, i.e., Minus one toughness turn one, minus two toughness turn two, minus three turn three. Good God, that would make a difference. Let's wait and see on codexes before we get too salty. Also, since they drag out James Workshop for YouTube videos every year, we all realize he's really a Necron flayed one wearing a human skin suit. Andrew, three-time Shorehammer champion. <laughs> that was his. That was his sign-off. Um, so I guess the Games Workshop. YouTube channel has a James Workshop? Is that a character? I have no idea. I don't follow them on YouTube at all. Um, so, you know what? I'm I'm gonna still gonna take it anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that they took that for me, even though I'm after the uh, behind the curve here. Now, Andrew then writes in, "Hi again." Is a different email. I forgot to add. Use the new 40k app instead of the data cards at twenty five dollars each. Right now, it's free and pretty easy to use. Very convenient. So thank you for writing in, Andrew. I always appreciate you writing in. Um, you know, it's an honored guest, right? It's a celebrity at Shorehammer, Andrew is. And um, so that that reanimation nonsense is absolutely crazy. I did not know that. Um, maybe because I never take named characters, but that's that's nuts. So, but once again, like you said, they're warriors for crying out loud. I mean, they're not they're not anything that crazy good. And yes. I finally downloaded the app, and it is pretty good, actually. Um, we haven't really found any real issues. One thing that James just found out today when we played was that the Chaos Chosen can take a Heavy Bolter, apparently, but the stats for the Heavy Bolter are not in that unit. So we didn't know what the stat for... The we assume 36 inches, Heavy 3, Strength 5, minus 1, 2 damage. We assume, but, you know... It could be very well be different right now. So we we didn't know. We just had to use the stats that we thought it was. But he was a little surprised it didn't have the stats in there. But yes, I'm I'm using the 40k app right now. It's been really good. I like it. Um, I'm if it included the army stuff, I would pay for it. Like legit. I don't know if they're gonna make you do the stupid code thing. I feel like they've gotten away from the code thing. Um, I don't know if it's still in Age of Sigmar or not, but um. Either way, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with the, the cheapest route. Me and Just James right now are printing out the cards. And it's really not that big of a deal at all. Most of the cards don't even need anything on the backside because you already use an app to make it. And it's like, oh, five to ten warriors or whatever in a squad. Most of it's irrelevant. So I just uh, I just copy the PDF on my screen, paste it into a, um, a paint shop application, and then copy the name and the stats and paste it in the empty area at the bottom 
and then trim everything else off, like the picture and all that. And then I just copy it into Word and print it. It literally, that sounds like a lot of work. It takes 35 seconds. Like, so I've, I've done almost my entire Tyranid army that way. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, anyway, thank you for writing in, Andrew. I greatly appreciate it. You guys can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or Instagram at pimcron. Want that or want that not? Well, of course, you heard the man. It's time for Want That or Want That Not. Today, I'm discussing not one thing, but several things once again. I was perusing the Games Workshop website, and I was like, oh, let me find something that's, you know, a pre-order or a new release, and everything was kind of boring. So I'm putt-putting around the Games Workshop website, and I find there's a tab I never noticed before under New and Exclusive. It's expert-level model kits. And I'm like... Okay, I feel like a lot of these things are expert level model kits, but look, whatever, there's 19 things in stock. Let's see what they are. I click on them, and essentially, I don't know why it's called expert level model kits, but it's all of the Primarchs from Horus Heresy. So, I guess they are expert model kits. I don't see how in any fashion whatsoever. And they all have a 15 plus on them. What is that 15 plus for? I have no idea. It says in the corner, 15 and up, like 15 plus. And I'm thinking to myself, is it for 15 years old and up? Why would that be? I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever why these are expert level model kits. And by the way, Every single one of them is $140, $150, for this supposed expert model kit. And I'm like, I just don't see it. I have no idea why that would be considered an expert level model kit. I'm almost thinking like they raise the price and then they're like, oh, uh, we've got to like justify this price hike somehow. Oh, yeah, this one dude that's basically normal size. Yeah, yeah, he's $150 bucks because it's... um. Checks notes, expert model kit, and then everyone clapped at the board meeting. I feel like I feel like that's how that went. So when you actually click on the uh, one of these people, right? I clicked on Magnus. Okay, it says fifteen and up, and I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, okay, I got to figure out why this is fifteen or up because it's just very odd to me. And after everything, it says this resin modeling kit is not a toy. It is a collectible item and construction should only be undertaken by expert Warhammer hobbyists aged 15 years and older. Why? Just because it's resin? I mean, how often do you have to sand down this resin stuff to begin with? Probably not often. I don't know. I just find this to be very odd. Now, I understand resin, breathing in resin, all of that is poisonous. I do get that. But I just find that to be very odd. I wonder if there's some sort of like new law or something. Maybe that's why they're getting rid of fine cast and, and all of that. But these guys, I guess, would be too much of a hassle to make them into a new plastic kit or something. But I just thought that was really interesting. Maybe they were made to do it for regulation sake or whatever. And then it's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, expert Warhammer hobbyist. Yeah, let's make it sound better than it is. I don't know. Just found it odd. I was also taken seriously aback by 160 bucks for one of these stupid characters. 
the young the the youngest the cheapest one that i saw was 125 and that to me seems as the kids say absolutely redonkulous right that's what that's what kids say still they say redonkulous yeah they do or at least they did in the early 2000s now it's time for real talk with pimp cron Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimcron, and today I wanted to discuss something. Now that I've gotten probably, I don't know, seven games the 10th edition under my belt, something around there, maybe eight, played another one today, uh, I was beginning to formulate something, and it's, it's interesting, was it stupid for Games Workshop to get rid of the Force Org, or was it secretly genius? Now, I personally have always been a fan of the Force Org. I really like the 1HQ and the two troops. That's what I started with in 5th edition. And I've liked it all the way up until, you know, they started doing detachments and other things. I really like that because in a typical slice of what a faction should be, you think it would be 1HQ and then probably two troops. Because why? Troops are the most common, right? That's why they're troops. They're not elite. They're not fast or vehicles or whatever. They're just troops. So you feel like any battlefield would be 90% troops. And then we'll say 75% troops and then like 20% elite stuff and then like 5% HQs and whatever. If you're looking at like thousands of troops. So I was always a big fan of the Force Org for that exact reason. It forced you to take somewhat of a themed list. Now, of course, things like Ripper Swarms up until recently were always troops and they're super cheap. I mean, just plop six of those bad boys down and you got your two troops and you take whatever you want. So it was certainly an abusable situation, right? But when I first saw that they got rid of the Force Org in this new edition, I was like, oh man, I don't really like that. I really like that you have to take troops and an HQ. Then you take whatever you want. But I really, really like the idea that you have requirements. Now, I'm not a big fan of like the old Warhammer fantasy where, if you recall, it was like, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was like 50% of your points had to be troops. And then, like, 25 was, like, Elite, and 25 was HQ, or something like that. They had, like, actual point limits by percentage, and I think that's a little too granular. I don't think it needs that at all. I didn't really mind the detachments either, because the detachments really made you get into a theme, or, a, or a, like, a rut, kind of. And most of those had give and take to them. So if you're taking a spearhead detachment, it was all heavy support. Well, you're probably talking monsters or vehicles or whatever. And a lot of times those weren't super great at capturing objectives or, or whatever. So there was a little bit of um, there was a little bit of rock, paper, scissors to it, which every game needs. Every game, you never want an A beats B always. You want A beats B, B beats C and C beats A. You want some sort of um, triumvirate or even more complex than that. And honestly, that's just good game design. That's just, it's a really good mechanic to make sure there's more than one way to win or be defeated. So it was very surprising to me when I started playing 10th edition and there's no Force Org and I'm thinking, oh, well, there's going to be opportune um, lists that are just better than others, you know, because you're not required to take a troop or anything like that. But with the design of 10th edition... I think maybe they were quite clever. It's really got to take more time to, to pan out here, right? But my hunch is that they didn't mess this up. My hunch is that they actually did something that was really, really neat and actually, frankly, harder to do. 
And that is balance the game innately so that you have the freedom to take whatever you want. But if you don't take a well-rounded list, then you're going to have trouble. And they don't want you being in a rut like the spearhead detachment or the vanguard detachment or the things that was like all fast, all heavy, etc. They don't want you doing that. They want you to take a well-rounded force. And to be honest with you, that is the best way that you get game balance. Because of course, let's say Imperial Guard have the best tanks. Let's just say that. I don't know in this current meta whether they have the best tanks, but they probably do. Imperial Guard has the best meta for tanks. Okay, well, this prevents you from being able to take all tanks because the tanks are not going to hold objectives very well, you know, and they can still be shot in close combat and stuff like that. So it's pretty neat that they actually designed the the addition from the ground up to force you with the um with the increased toughness for everything, increased strength for anti-tank weapons. You actually have to take the right weapon for the right job or the right unit matched up with the right target. And that takes a lot more skill. And to be honest, I'm really happy with it. I mean, at first I was like, okay, the reason why I did not like Imperial Knights in Warhammer is because if they, if your opponent takes one Imperial Knight, okay, you can deal with that, but you ought to pray to God that you've got some sort of anti-tank deal with that. Because if they're taking, uh, I'm just going to say, I don't know, Imperial Guard and they take a knight or something like that. Space Marines, they take a knight. Um, Sisters of Battle and they take a knight. It can really throw off the whole meta of what the army normally is about, right? So if you're facing um, Sisters of Battle, you may not be super heavy on the armor. um, But then if they're taking a knight, then you needed to be super heavy on the armor. Because that's, that's the only thing that could take out a knight. Well... At first, I didn't like that because I was thinking, oh, now everyone's required to take a heavy support option uh, that's anti-tank specifically, because God knows in my experience, if you are going against a tank or a monster with toughness 9, 10, 12, whatever it may be, dude, if you don't have dedicated anti-vehicle, anti-monster weaponry, you're going to be wounding that sucker on sixes. Fives if you're super lucky. Fives if you're super lucky. And you're wounding that thing on sixes. It makes monsters and vehicles incredibly more durable. And honestly, I really like it. I really like it. And the reason why, what I first was setting me off about it, needing to take something anti-tank, whereas like bolt guns would wound everything that wasn't toughness eight, you know, on a five up, you could just blast something to death with bolt guns. Well, now, with the, the toughnesses brought up so high, a lot of things are sixes that you're wounding them on, and that actually makes you take parts of your list and actually bring dedicated anti-tank, anti-monster. If you're not doing that in every single list, my first impressions of my first half dozen or so games is that if you're not taking dedicated anti-monster, dedicated anti-armor weapons you're doing it wrong. That's that's just it. You need to have a to to play your army effectively against anybody. You need to have your objective cappers, which could be anything, troops probably, because there are a lot of them are OC2. And then you need your anti-infantry, something like I don't know, let's say a punisher cannon or um the aggressors or something that can just spit out lead like crazy. And then you're going to need your anti-vehicle anti-tank. So you need objectives anti-infantry, and then anti-vehicle slash monster. And 
it's forcing you to bring an, a well-rounded list, which is what I typically did anyway. I would normally be like, oh, I'll take a, one heavy support, one fast, one elite, two troops in HQ or something. I would just make up some random list. But it was not innate to the game and the game mechanics that you had to do that. And I'm really finding that 10th edition is really the right tool for the right job, or you're just boned. That's as simple as that. And I can't believe I'm saying it, but I really, really like it. So it seems like they've really designed the game this time to support balance. And you're making a risky endeavor if you are not bringing a well-balanced list. And I love everything about it. I really thought this was a mistake to get rid of the Force Org. And turns out, I think it's kind of genius. Now, it may not pan out the way we think, but... I think it's pretty good. So let's keep playing and see how this goes. But um, and I've, of course, I don't follow the meta. I don't do any of that stuff. But it also seems like the damage for vehicles is pretty crazy. Like my um, my what's it called? The hup- rupture cannon or whatever for my Tyrannifex is strength 14, 16, something like that. Minus four and 2d6 damage. Holy crap. That's a lot. Now, the cool thing is playing just James today, he had like a chaplain or somebody that had a five up invol, and I shot him with that cannon, hit both times, wounded both times, and we both said, oh man, this dude, this dude's just dead. And then he rolled both of his five up invols. So I mean, honestly, if there's a a moderate chance, basically a one third chance that someone can survive unscathed from a rupture cannon, then maybe it's not as bad as we thought. But a lot of the vehicles seem to, um, Take a punch like square in the teeth from some of these anti-weapon, anti-vehicle weapons. So it's like if you bring the right tool and you apply it correctly, it can really do some damage. I think I did like 12 or 14 damage to his um skull throne, super heavy, whatever it's called, the corn thing. And uh, that's, that packs quite a punch if everything goes well. So after all these years of you hearing me complain, especially about 9th edition, was not a big fan of 9th edition, I want to show you that I'm not just a negative Nancy. When things seem to be well made, and and of course, I know about the Eldar and all the other strange shenanigans. I I know this, this edition's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I am enjoying it so far. I have not played anything competitive, so I don't know how that is. And I know some of the armies are a bit janky. But overall, I think this edition's heart is in the right place. And maybe they can fix some stuff with codexes. All I'm saying is I think it's a really good start. Ninth edition, I was not a huge fan of from the get-go. And I think the codexes just got worse. If they can maybe curb their enthusiasm for codex creep and power creep and all of that, I think we might have a really good edition. So thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And uh, we're brought to you today by GameMat.eu and Panhandle3D.etsy.com. And of course, my beautiful, sexy, super fertile, can't even shake hands with them, Patreon patrons. I'll see you next week.